And it's so good to be here this morning. Uh, we're in our series called Word. And if you've been around for the last five weeks, uh, we've been talking through catalysts that can fuel our faith. And I think for a lot of us here this morning, we want to um, remind ourselves of this uh, invitation to walk with God and to know Him. Sounds like a music behind me. Yes, I do. There we go. Oh, here we go. I got a keyboard with me. And, uh, and so I just wanted to say, um, I think really this morning is this uh, reminder that through faith, uh, if it's a gift, how do we steward it really well? And uh, I think uh, this morning, God wants to remind us that there's certain ways, if we've given a gift, how do we add to that? Or how do we grow in our faith? And, uh, and I really feel like in this series that we've been reminded that are we hearing God's word? Faith comes by hearing and hearing of the word of God. What has God been saying to us? And what catalysts have been speaking to you? I think of the, the, faith, the one that's around powerful teaching, sitting under his word. I think of providential relationships, those people in our lives that don't just champion our lives, but also challenge our lives. I think of last week where Dill shared about practicing generosity, that in a sense that we, have, we can be part of faithful generosity that fuels faithful generosity, that, that transforms lives. And uh, I think all these little catalysts help turn the wheel in our faith because if faith is a gift of God, the question we've got to ask ourselves is how do we grow it? And I don't know about you, but we've got a lot of fake stuff going on in our lives. You know, we've got fake this and fake that and fake news and fake eyelashes. And we've got, we've got lots of fake going on. But, 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 I, but I just wanted to say, you know what? That's okay. It's okay to have a bit of fake. We can go to China Mall and get fake. But if there's one thing we want to be real is our faith. We want a real faith. I don't want a faith that jumps up on a mountain and goes, hallelujah. I want a faith that works in the valley. I want a faith on Friday when I've got nothing left that I can rely on something that God has given me because we can't rely on our own strength. So how do we find a real faith in a real world? Is anyone here live in a real world? Welcome to the real world. We just lost by one point to England. Oh my gosh. Too soon. Too soon. Anyway, but uh, you know, I think if you've arrived this morning, there's a sense of expectation that we really want a real faith, a faith that grows. Well, how do we make it grow? And uh, I really feel like today I'm going to go to Scripture. It's in Romans chapter 7, and it's written by the Apostle Paul. And I want to give it a framework. And, you know, this last one I want to speak about today is called private disciplines. Say private. Private. Now, that's not a sexy word in the world today. I mean, you want public. Everyone wants to be on Instagram. You want to showcase what you got. You know, there's a word that they use on social media. I've heard it. The young people use it. It's called flex. Uh, flex. You know, when you get a new pair of shoes, you put on Instagram. Guess what you're doing? You are flexing. Thank you. You know, when you drive your new car and you get it, you get to the robots. You know what you're doing? You flexing. When even Elizabeth comes up to the line out, he looks at England, Moria Tosh, and he says, yo, bowl is may bowl. You know what he's doing? He's flexing. He's flexing. You know, we love to flex. We love to show the world what we got. But you know, God is interested in what happens in the private. There's a private faith that produces something beautiful in our lives. But we like to flex. I remember in grade seven, I got a Duncan Fernie Magnum bat, brand new. I walked into school with my bag over here holding the bat like this, just walking like it, just flexing. I got my Magnum. And I think the reality in life is we like to do that with our faith, don't we? Look what I did today. But actually, God's called us to a private faith. What if it's in the quiet places, in the places of silence and solitude that God really wants to build your faith? Private, what about discipline? Private disciplines. Ooh, discipline. What comes to mind when you think of discipline? A monk, a Benedictine monk, 
going through his process in some southern Tibet monastery. When we think of disciplines, we think of an A-type person who never smiles and just ticks the list. You know, I don't know. Maybe, I don't know what you think when disciplines come to mind. But discipline is not really enjoyable for a lot of us. But I wonder if disciplines lead to freedom. You see, but not the freedom you think. Because there's a world that thinks that freedom is one way. You know, I've got to ask the question. It's been 2,000 years since Jesus came and died. There's been advancement of technology like never before. Never before in the world, in the history of the world, 7 billion people have everything at their fingertips. We've got Google. We can talk to Siri. We can get all the information. Every 12 hours, the information doubles. You go to sleep tonight, tomorrow morning it's doubled. We've got all the information in the world. Can I ask the question, are we really happier? We've got all the information, but are our hearts at rest? You see, the world that the world that talks about freedom is do what you want, just don't harm anyone. But I wonder if the very freedom the world offers is the very thing that is enslaving us. You see, Jesus comes and he offers a new freedom. He offers us a new way to live life. He said, narrow is the road that leads to freedom. Narrow is the road that leads to life. You know what the world offers? Wide is the road, Jesus said, that leads to bondage. But you know, when we walk in with Jesus and we're walking with him and we know him, he offers us a freedom. Why? Because we come under the rule and reign of heaven. We come under the rule and reign of the king, the ancient of days, the one who went before us, the one who knows us and loves us. I was reading in 1 Samuel 2 this week and I heard this, this devotion from someone. He said, you know, in 1 Samuel, it said, there's no one as holy as our God. He is the rock of ages. He is immovable. He is holy. He's the king of kings. He said, you know, in the day when a king would conquer another king, you know what he would do? When he conquered the king, he would cut off his throne and attach it to his own. And then if he conquered another king, he would attach it to his own. The more you conquer, the longer the throne. You know what the Bible says? That the Lord's throne fills the temple. We have an undefeated king. We have one that stands alone. No one can take, take him on. He is the king of all kings. This is who offers us freedom. And so today I want to look at a, a text in Romans 7 where I know because I know that God wants us to grow. But he has the challenge. We're at the end of the year. I like what Dub said. I, I feel for build, builders, if you're a builder here, you're just waiting for the 16th of December. Ooh, Pumula. You just, you just, you just wanted that last client. You know that client's on your nerve and everyone wants their garden done. If you're a landscaper, everyone wants them ship and shop, you know, for Christmas. And you're just running, you just go, let my feet hit the sand. I need a holiday. Who needs a holiday here? 2021. I bet there's some people waiting for the 22nd payday of December. Ooh, just get me there. And then I'll smell the freshly mowed grass and go and sit on the beach. I can't wait for a holiday. But what if there's so much, there's still time to live today? And what if at the end of this year, I don't know about you, but you get to the end of the year and there's a lot of noise, but very little power. You know, when we first got married, we made a rule in our house. I said to Kath, I said, no dogs in the house. Anyway, it was three days later that Jack Russell was in the house. Anyway, so now, so now we've been married 19 years. I've got three children and two dogs. And there's one thing you need in a house when you've got three children and two dogs. It's, you know, I know what you're thinking, a big fridge. You know, that's number one. But the second thing is, you know what you need? You need a hoover. You need a vacuum cleaner. Every lady in the house said yes. Well, the bad news, you see, if a fire came into the house, two things we'd save, our passports and the hoover. 
And you know, and you see when you've got two dogs and three big kids, that's what you need. But here's the challenge. About four weeks ago, our Hoover died. It, it packed up. And that was a big problem. And then Kath, that's what she does. She executed, went and found something to secondhand shop, and she bought this Electrolux that was born in the 90s back home with her. It cost her 400 rand. She said, you, secondhand shop. The marketer, the sales lady that sold it to her was like, oh my gosh, this is from a retired couple from Joburg. Mm, this Electrolux on the front, it says Power Glide. She bought it home and we put it, in the, we put it in the lounge like this. We put it the plug in. I've got a picture for you of it. Maybe I've got a picture. There she is. That's the power glide. Anyway, so we put it in, you know, to Hoover. It sounded like a small aircraft started up in our living room. And Kath went to work. She adjusted one adjustment. It's only got one adjustment. Like as she goes, and then I said, stop, stop, stop. Let's just check if it's working. Hey, plug off. No more airplane. Turn around, look inside. Absolutely nothing. Didn't even pick up a hair. And you know, in our family, we never fail. We either win or we learn. It was just one of those moments. We just won and we learn. We're going to take a picture and celebrate it. But I thought to myself, you know what? As I was doing that, I thought to myself, you know what? As we come to the end of the year, there's a lot of noise, but it feels like there's no power. Have you ever felt that in your life? You've made some big expectations. 2021, I was going to make it the one, you know. I was going to change it around. I was going to be that parent. I was going to bless my marriage. I was going to be that Christian. I was going to grow in my faith. And you get to the end of the year, and often you ask yourself, there's a lot of noise, but where's the power? You know, I'm speaking to a lot of people. I've got no energy. I was praying this morning, coming in. I feel like these people arrived this morning. They just want to give up. They've made it here this morning, but to be honest, deep down in your heart, you want to give up. You want to give up on the job you have. You want to give up on the relationship you have. You want to give up. But I've come to tell you today that God flips it around for us. In His gentle way, He leads us. It might not sound like we want to sound, but He's a God that doesn't reject us, but redirects us. He's a God that doesn't put us down. He might challenge you, but His challenge will lead you to freedom. Have you ever been in a world where you've got a lot of noise, but it feels like there's no more power? And to be honest, it feels like that a bit getting into the end of the year. So how are we going to do it? And today I want to give you a quick framework around this thought of private disciplines. And here's the title of my message, be taking notes. What if there was one thing that could change everything in our lives? Just one thing that could change everything. I'm going to read from Romans chapter 7. And it's the Apostle Paul. And give you some context. The Apostle Paul is in Rome. And uh, he's in house arrest. And he writes the book of Romans. And Paul you know, he was the guy that experienced Jesus. He encountered him, the living Jesus. Paul was the guy that said to the disciples, I'm going to go and plant churches. Paul was the guy whose shadow would pass people and people would be healed. Paul was the guy who prayed for people and they were raised from the dead. He wrote one third of the New Testament. But Paul, when he writes this text today, I'm going to read it, he has a common problem with you and I. Have you ever got to the end of the year, like I said, and it feels like you've had great aspirations, but you're not seeing much success? Have you ever in your spiritual growth life said, you know what, I tried to be like this, but then I end up like that? Paul, and I'm greatly encouraged by this, felt the way you and I do. If there's anyone here this morning that feels, you know what, I try to do this, but I find myself here, you're in good news. 
because he felt the same as you and I. I'm gonna read it, Romans 7, I'm gonna give us a quick framework of what goes down. Romans 7, I've read it out the message version because it speaks in a, in a, in a, in a language that is similar to ours here, and I'm gonna read it together. Verse 14, 7, Romans 7, verse 14 says, I can anticipate the response that is coming. I know that all God's commands are spiritual, but I'm not. Isn't this also your experience? Yes, I'm full of myself. After all, I spend a lot of time in sin's prison. But what I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way, then I act another. Have you ever done that before? You, you make a decision, but then you act the other way. I try to do what I do, but then I do something different. Okay, it's just me. So but then I act together doing things absolutely I despise. So if I can't be trusted to figure out what is best for myself and then do it, it becomes obvious that God's command is necessary. But I need something more. For I know the law, but I still can't keep it. And if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I can try, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, and then I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. It happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel, and just when I least expect it, they take charge. I've tried everything, and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question we're asking today? And then he's, he's preaching to himself. He's asking him a question. We ask ourselves, who can help me in this situation? Verse 25, the answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but I'm pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. Paul, the apostle Paul, what encourages me is he felt like you and I. I set out to do something and that which I wanted to do, I didn't do. I get to the end of the year and I had great aspirations, but this is where I see myself. How is it that I haven't changed? How is it that things aren't different? And so today I wanna to look at this text and give us a simple framework and I hope that it helps you. I hope that it helps you and fuels your faith as you go into the back end of December. The first thing I see is number one is we have a common problem, a common problem. Here's why we have a common problem. And I think the problems we experience is simply this. You know what the problem is? I think the problem is in answering the question that we often focus on the what and we don't understand the how. We focus on the what and we don't understand the how. Let me, let me show you what I mean. All of us have pretty similar aspirations, don't we? Think about it. When you first set your goals at the beginning of the year, where you have aspirations for the end of this year in December. We all have similar aspirations. We all wanna have blessed families. We all wanna um, live in financial overflow. We all wanna be generous. We all wanna uh, grow in our faith. We all wanna have a great Christmas together. We all wanna go on holiday. We have similar aspirations, isn't that true? I mean, I've never heard anyone wake up and go, you know what, hmm, I'm gonna eat KFC for the next 20 days. I'm gonna spike my cholesterol and fail my discovery test. No one does that. No one does that. You know, I haven't heard of someone who says, you know what, you know what, I, I wanna fall in love and then I'll get married and then five years from now I'm gonna get divorced. No one does that. We all have similar aspirations, all have similar goals. You know, survey and statistics have picked this up, that, that actually we all got similar goals. And you know the thing is, good people or winners and losers have the same aspirations. 
Successful people and unsuccessful people all have the same aspirations. Where the difference is, is where there's a dramatic difference is the results. We have similar aspirations, but they're different results. Why? Why is that? Because your goals don't determine your success. Your systems determine your success. Your hopes don't determine your success. Your habits determine your success. Can I say it another way? Your desires don't determine your sex. Sex? Sex, sorry. That was a footnote to Romans chapter 7. Your desires don't determine your success. Your disciplines determine your sex. Success. And, I, and I, that's the second footnote. And I think it's so true in our lives. I think, you know, the reality is we all have these big aspirations. We all have these goals. I want to be healthy. I want to go to the gym. I want to, and the problem is we focus on the what and we don't understand how. James Clear in his book, Atomic Habits, he says it so well. We don't rise to the level of our goals or aspirations. We fall to the level of our systems. We fall to the level of our disciplines. We fall to the level of our habits. It's habits help us become who we are, not our hopes. We all got the same hopes. I hope I get through the next 2022. I hope I get healthy. I hope I eat well. I hope, I hope, I hope. But the reality is you're never gonna hit the hope if you haven't put a habit in place. I got some desires, but I've got to ask you the question, what are your disciplines? You know, I've never heard a coach, you know, when he gets in the change room before the beginning of the season, goes, guys, come around, come around, come around. Listen, you know what? I'm hoping this year we're gonna come eighth. No one ever does that. Every coach says, no, we're gonna win the league. You and I have the similar things. We're all aiming for the same thing, but the question we've got to ask ourselves is what do we put in place? What habits have we put in place? You see, what we tend to do is we focus on the what and we don't understand how. The second problem I see, the common problem we have is that we see progress as too slow in our lives. We, we get frustrated with slow progress. I'm talking to those people that signed up for gym in 2021 and they got on the treadmill and they ran for the first three days and then they jumped on the scale and they only lost 0.01 kgs. You know what they did? They gave up. They gave up. The challenge with us is when we don't see progress quick enough, what do we do? We give up. Why? Because we've wrongly assumed that small little steps in our lives make a big difference. And the opposite is also true. Sometimes it's the big things. You know, when you go, and, you go and binge out and you eat a whole chocolate cake and then you miss church for two weeks and you do these big things and, and, and you realize actually there was no difference anyway. So actually the big things don't make a difference anyway. So I'm just gonna give up anyway. It works both ways. What's happened is we've wrongly assumed that small little actionable steps in our lives don't actually make a big difference. But here's the truth. Where you are today, right now in November, is the sum of all the small and big decisions you've made in your life. And if that's true, you know what, I don't know about you, but I've never heard someone come to, you know, just to wake up in the morning, and you know what, today I'm just gonna give up my job. You know what, today I'm just gonna go leave my family. You don't just wake up doing that. You know why you wake up doing that? Because over time, you've made small little decisions that have led to that point. A little compromise here, a little believe a lie here, a little do this here, a little do this here, and then one day you wake up, you know why? Because it's been small little decisions along the way that you've led to this point. 
And if you look at the other side, if you look at successful people and you ask them how they were successful in nailing it, you know, they'll tell you, it wasn't one big day that happened. No, it was small little decisions of sacrifice, having inconvenient conversations, challenging other people, small little things when I got on my knees, when no one was seeing and I spent a daily habit of praying to God, but now I find this place, guess what it was? Small little decisions that led to big results. The problem is, is we get frustrated with progress and then we give up quickly. You know, if I look at Daniel in the Bible, we all look at Daniel and say, Daniel, what a machine. You know, he was, he was in exile. They changed his name, yet he never lost his identity. He was a guy that was successful before the king. They put him in the lion's den. The lions didn't eat him. He interpreted the king's dream. And you look at Daniel and you all want his success, but you've got to ask yourself, what did Daniel put in play? He put some systems in play. He pre-decided that every day he would open his windows to Jerusalem and pray morning, noon, and night. Guess what? We don't rise to the level of our goals. We fall to the level of our systems disciplines in our lives. Common problems we have is we focus on the what and not the how. We focus on and we get frustrated with the progress. And the last thing we do, and it happens to us and happened to Paul, is that when we're not sure of who we are, it affects who we become. When we're not sure of our identity, it sabotages our God-given potential. You see, when, we, when, when we're not sure of who we are, when we're unshaky of who we are, what it does is it stops us moving forward. It stops, it stops our confidence and courage. Think about in the Bible. The Bible is filled of stories of people that weren't sure who they were, and so it stopped them walking to where God had called them to. Think about Moses for a moment. He murdered a man. He went into the desert. God came to him in the burning bush. What did Moses say? No, 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 I'm a stutterer. I can't do it. I'm not sure. I guess what? You know what Mo- Moses says? He wasn't sure of who he was. And it stopped him walking into his future. Think about Gideon. I'm the least of the least of the least. No one knows me. No one. He wasn't sure about who he was. When we're not sure of identity, something changes. And so I want to, that's the common problem we have in our lives. But I want to switch it around because God gives us a better perspective. The second thing is a higher perspective. We've got a common problem, but in this text, God gives us a higher perspective. And in Romans 7, Paul mentions it, but he asked this question, who can save me? If this, is the, if this is the thing, if I've got this, if I'm not successful and I've got great aspirations, who can save me? Who's gonna help me? And you know what often ha- happens to us as Christians, I'm talking to believers here this morning, if you, if you zone in and just look at me for a moment, you know what we tend to do? We tend to, to, to work harder, we tend to try harder. You see, Paul said, I try and I do, and I try and I do. You know what we do? We use our willpower. And guess what, willpower wanes. I've been to Lifestyle there before. I often go to Kauai, and I sit at Kauai, and there's Woolworths down that side. You know where Woolworths is. And then you look to your left, and then there's Spa. And then next to Kauai, there's an Alpha Pharmacy, and then there's a Wimpy. But on the other side, there's some cell phone shops, and then there's a Krispy Kreme shop. Do you know where the Krispy Kreme shop is here? Everyone's just looking down now. They're not, they've never seen it before. But if you, if you sit at Kauai, if you sit at Kauai, and you look to the left, and I watch people walk there, if there was a lamppost next to Krispy Kreme, everyone would hit it. Because when they walk past, they don't look at the cell phone, they look in the pharmacy, they don't, and they walk past Krispy Kreme, and it's just a little look, look like that, like, just a little look, 
and then they keep walking because they've they've told themselves that they couldn't get anything that good from Woolworths. They're going to go to, to to the spa for rolls. They need to go and get rolls. But then they get their rolls and they walk back and they go, ooh, my Krispy Kreme has favorite sprinkles on them. And they look inside the shop like this and they think, oh, maybe let's just go inside and see it. They don't realize when they walk inside, Krispy Kreme release a smell through the aircon that makes your saliva come alive. It's like, hmm. Your saliva glands are on the third heaven like the Apostle Paul was. Like, mm, mm. And then you walk in there and, you know, I don't know. I'm just picturing I'm a lady now because I don't know why. But it, you just, I could be a guy too. I don't know whether. But, but, you know, you walk in there with your handbag and then you look in the, and the attendant's smiling at you. She's got her gloves on, Krispy Kreme smile. Hello, hello, ma'am. And you say, hi, ma'am. And, you say, and then you look down and you go like, oh, that's my favorite. I love that from my daughter. And, then, and she's packaging, and the lady's thinking, is, this is not for her daughter, this is for her. And she packages and says, thank you, ma'am, and you pay for it, and you put it back in your handbag, and you remind her again, because you, you, this is for my daughter. And then you walk out like that, and you're confident. You're like, oh, my willpower. And, and, and you just walk, and you get into the car, and you're all alone at Lifestyle. No one's in the car. And you're sitting there like this, and the little crinkle of the donut package starts to, saliva glands start to talk again. And then you think, you know what, if I just stretch and have a little piece of it, just a taste, my willpower's amazing. I'm going to have a taste. That's all I'm having, a taste. You reach down and you pull the little end off. Okay. Oh, it touches your mouth. And, and you eat a little bit. And then, and then two minutes later, there is no donut left. And you're sitting in the car and you drive out a lifestyle and you tell yourself, look at my amazing willpower. I ate the donut slowly. And the challenge with us in life, you see, you know what? We all know this, that willpower wanes. It doesn't last. You you know, the, the gospel is not about behavior modification. It's spiritual transformation. It happens from the inside out. The problem with us is we, as, and it's a, it's a challenge as a Christian, as a believer, because what we're going to do is we're going to go, you know what? I've called to be holy. I've called to be like God. And yes, we are. And God's done this. And, we, and then what happens is we trip up and we make a mistake and we touch it. Or we feel it. Or we say it. Or we do things. Or we get angry. Or whatever happens. And then we go, oh my gosh, I feel, I feel this guilt. And then what we do is we think, try and fix it. Let me try and fix it. I'm going to try, pray harder. I'm going to try and do this. I'm going to try in my own strength. But we all know that willpower wanes. And you know what happens is when we keep going around the circle of shame and then we've done it again and then we go like this, you know what the enemy does? He whispers when you're doing it, but then he gets on your back when, you've, uh, when you're feeling guilty and shame. And you know what he does? He takes your failure and attaches to your identity. And you know what he says? You didn't just fail, you are a failure. And those words of condemnation come into your mind and he says, no, 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 you didn't just, you're not just a bad parent. You are a bad parent. You don't have what it takes. You're not loved. You aren't chosen. You don't know. No one loves you. You're not good enough. You're not that parent. You're not that Christian that everyone talks about. You're not. But what did Paul say? Paul says, who will save me from this? He's preaching to himself. He says, I've tried and I've tried and I've tried. You know what he says? But thanks be to God, the answer is Jesus Christ. You see, I think we get to the end of ourselves and we say, I need something, I need something. But actually what we need is someone. We need a power from heaven to come down. We don't live by by willpower, we live by the Spirit's power. We need something from outside to come into our lives that help us to walk this life. A higher perspective. A higher perspective by the Spirit's power. You see, I am not 
what the world says I am. I'm not what my friend says I am. I'm not what culture says I am. I am who Christ says I am. And if I am in Christ and I've repented and given my life to him and I choose to follow him, then if I'm in Christ, I am free. If I'm Christ, I'm a child of God. If I'm Christ, I have peace in my heart. If I'm Christ, I have grace that empowers me to live this life. I wonder if that would set us free because the enemy comes to maximize it in your life. You can't do it. And we walk around this guilt and shame, guilt and shame, thinking it's something we need to fix, but rather put my faith in Christ and remind us of who I am. You know, when Paul wrote Ephesians, five chapters on identity, one chapter on activity. When he wrote Galatians, four chapters on identity, two chapters on activity. When he wrote Romans, nine chapters on identity, four chapters on activity. What's Paul trying to tell us? Get our identity right. We are children of God, loved by Him, known by Him. But how do we do it? You know, I thought about this for a moment. There's a difference between trying and training. Trying and training. Nowhere in the New Testament does it say try. Nowhere. It doesn't say try harder, try to read your Bible, try. But you know what the New Testament talks about? It's training. And there's a difference between someone who tries and trains. The other day we went to Maritzburg and with Jamo there and we, we looked for a gym, as you do when you're in Maritzburg. So we found this Planet Fitness gym, Fitness gym and we walked in and there was this section where it was aerobics and everything. We were like a little bit disappointed. We were like, is this aerobics? So the, the lady says to us, where are you from? We're out of town. And she looks at me and says, are you here to try or here to train? That's what you asked me. And Jamo looked at me and said, dad, we here to train. I was like, I'm going to train. She says, oh, you go down the corridor and we go to the left. And we walked into this room with more machines. We were like Christmas day for James and I. There's just gym equipment everywhere. But we sat around and when you're in a gym, you notice people, the difference between trying and training. Trying is the guy who flexes in front of the mirror and he Instagrams a shot, takes a selfie, then walks to the water machine, has a drink, then has a sauna and goes home. That's trying. Trying is so disempowering, friends. Are we going to live by trying spirit? I'm just going to try to be a Christian and try to be. It's so disempowering. You know why? Because it takes the accountability off you. But training's a different story. Paul speaks about being trained in righteousness, trained in living. We were training. That means when I get up in the morning, it doesn't matter whether it's overcast or sunny, I'm training. I'm not trying. We're called to train. Training means that I have eternal view. Training means that eternity starts now. Training means I'm training my mind. Why? Because when I change my mind, it changes my intentions. It changes my actions, which changes my habits, which changes my character. And character is destiny. It's destiny. God didn't save you just to let you get to heaven one day and hope for the best. He saved you to train you. I've been trained in the righteousness of God. That changes my whole attitude. You see, trying goes, well, I just hope I'll make it. I just take a shot in the dark. No, training says I'm here, good days and bad days. I might have made a mistake, but I'm reminded about who I am and God's grace is sufficient for me and I'm gonna keep on walking. When I'm training, I don't look around at other people. I'm focused what I'm doing. I give extreme effort to what I put my life into. I'm training a higher perspective. You know what the Bible says? How do we, how do we, how do we live out this identity? He says, the Bible says in Galatians, it says we walk in the spirit and it will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You know that walk, that word walk in the Greek is pitapatio, pitapata, pitapata. You see that? We walk in the spirit. It's a daily walk. It's written in the present imperative, which means it's happening now. And there's this invitation to walk it as a habit and a discipline. 
I remember Dallas Willard said, you know, when we come to faith, we like elevators, you know? We come to the bottom like this, we press bing, 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 floor number 74. And we get to the top and we're like, whoo, how's the view? You know, as believers, that's trying. Training, Jesus likes takes the stairs. He goes, when you walk with me today, one step. When you walk with me today, I'm gonna trust me like walk, I'm walking in the spirit. I'm not walking in my strength, but I'm walking in your spirit. I got my eyes on you. I recognize that I'm training God. And when I'm not trying, I'm training. You have my back. I know you. I'm gonna take another step. You know, the Bible says step in line with the spirit. You know what we're doing? We're walking. We're not trying, we're training. It's a different perspective on life, a different mindset. Pitta, patter, pitta, patter. I'm walking in the Spirit. And when I walk in the Spirit, He reminds me of who I am. So how do we do it? We've got a common problem, a highest perspective. But you know what God does? He gives us a game plan. Oh, I'm so grateful for a game plan. I'm so grateful that when we read the Scriptures, we don't just ask what it means. We ask it, what should we do about it in our lives? He's given you a game plan on the back of November. He's given you a game plan about discipline in your life. He's given you an idea of what it means to follow Him. What does it look like? Well, I wanna close with this, and the team can join me. It's, it's very simple. You know, when Jesus came, He stood up before the people and He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Order is important in the Bible. You know what He didn't say? He didn't say, I'm the life, the truth, and the way. He didn't say, I'm the truth, the way, and the life. He started with, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and the life. Isn't it true, two of the three we got waxed, you know, we like truth, because the truth sets us free. We like theology, we look at the concepts, we like understanding, we like knowledge, we love that, don't we? The truth, it sounds, we know about that. And the life, He offers us abundant life, we love that. But what about the way? What if it's the way that leads us to the truth that gives us the life we always long for? What if it's the way do you know that the early church weren't called followers of the truth and they weren't called followers of the life? You know what the early church were known as? Followers of the way. The way. There is a way to following Jesus. He gives us a game plan. Now, I don't know about you, but I got aspirations. I wanna be like Christ. I wanna be like Jesus. But if I'm gonna be like Jesus, surely, I should think about it, I should look how he lived. Because how he lived will point to the way. You know what Jesus did? Do you know what he did? He'd be surrounded by crowds. He'd minister and then he'd walk away and he'd go and spend time with his father. You know what Jesus believed in? Silence and solitude. In a very noisy world at the end of the year, what is one thing that could change everything? You know how he lived, Jesus? He would always spend time with his father. They say he'd wake up early in the morning and go and spend time with him. And I thought to myself, isn't that amazing? To be honest in my life, one of the things I often ask is this thought around obedience. How do I obey him? But you know, obedience never comes on its own. Obedience only comes when we've got intimacy. And where there's intimacy, there's trust. And where there's trust, there's obedience. Not the other way around. And Jesus is inviting, constantly saying, would you come and follow me? He never said to people, believe in me, he said, follow me. Why? Because of the way to following him. And when we follow him, guess what? We end up doing what he did. 
What did he do? He spent time with his father. And when you spend time with your father, guess what he does? He reminds you of your identity and who you are. You are chosen by God. You are loved by me. I've got your back. I love you. And I might challenge you and I might redirect you and I'll never criticize you, but I'll challenge you and I'll give you things because I want you to go to higher ground. And only when we hear his voice for ourselves, not for other people, that's why it's so empowering when we train because we hear God's voice for ourselves and we grow in Him. You know, I, I'm reminded of the story of a rich merchant who lived in the first century. He had everything, came from Turkey, owned businesses, he was successful, he traveled the world. And he heard about the Apostle Paul we're talking about who was in prison in Rome. And he heard about this guy and about the way he preached and the way he touched people's lives and the dead had been raised. And he wanted to find out what the secret was behind the apostle Paul. And so he came to Rome and he met Paul's protege, Timothy. He said, Timothy, give me half an hour with this man, please. Timothy said, no problem. He arrived at the house that Paul was in and he walked into a cold concrete room. And there was a frail man in the middle surrounded by two on either side Roman soldiers chained to a wall. And for the next half an hour, he spent with the Apostle Paul. And when he finished, he came out through the door and Timothy was waiting for him. He had tears coming down his eyes. And he looked at Timothy, he said, I've never met a man like this. Such calm and peace. And he looked across at Timothy and he said, Timothy, what is the secret to this guy? Timothy looked back at him with a smile on his face and he said, he's a friend of Jesus. And this man looked at me and he said, is that all? And Timothy smiled and he said, that's everything. That's everything. You see, could it be that God at the end of this year, when it's very noisy and you feel like you've got no power left and you're running short of energy, could it be that there's one thing that could change everything was to be in the presence of Jesus? Because when I come to Him and He begins to speak to me and I quieten my noise and I listen to Him and I read His Word, He begins to speak into the depths of our heart. And where there's intimacy, there's trust. And where there's trust, there's obedience.